Welcome now to Culture at Work on the Business Radio Network, presented by Crest Insurance with host Matt Nelson. All right. Well, welcome everyone to today's episode of Culture at Work in Tucson, proudly presented by Crest Insurance Group, where we learn from and celebrate the local leaders, businesses, and nonprofit organizations who have stood the test of Tucson time. I'm your host, Matt Nelson of Crest Insurance, and I'm joined here at uh, Tucson Business Radio X's virtual studios today by Shannon O'Connor of Paychex. This month to talk about, well, I think really it's to talk about what good culture is and how that relates to workplace culture. And and we're going to talk about it through the lens of human resources, which is Shannon's expertise. So thank you so much, first and foremost, Shannon, for joining us. Um, you're you're coming uh, coming to us all the way from uh, from the Windy City. So so thank you for joining us. Um, it's truly a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you, Mark. I'm very very happy to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so for anyone listening who doesn't know, and this is kind of obscure, but but uh, coming up here in a few weeks, we've actually got National Employee Appreciation Day. It's it's on everybody's calendar as as a, as a holiday. <laughs> should be. It should be. And, <laughs> We need you know, to get it on there. Absolutely. Well, and you know, it's kind of one of those things where I'll, I'll, I'll share a little bit about your bio in detail, but I think one of the things that's really interesting, you know, as we talked and, and kind of got to know one another in anticipation of this show is that you've got experience from the HR side. You've got experience in kind of a, a vendor and, and consulting role with Paychex. And we can talk a little bit about Paychex as a company and, and what the organization does. But then also you've got experience uh, as somebody who ran a business with uh, about a hundred employees. Is that right? That is true. That is correct. Yes, I, I run. I would say I run the gambit of all the different ways you can know about employee relations. <laughs> well, and and so the business part. I'll tell you what. We'll we'll skip real quick to the business because I think the the business is one of those things that you would not expect that somebody who has your work history to have jumped into, and, and I say jumped as one of the world's <laughs> fun segues, right? Fabulous. So, <laughs> so you owned and operated an indoor entertainment facility, an indoor trampoline park, right? That Two is them, correct. Two of them. Yes, that is correct. Yes. So what makes somebody make the decision to jump out of corporate America and, um, again, worst dad joke ever, jump into owning two <laughs> I'll take that pun every day. <laughs> yeah, two, two, two trampoline parks. That's, that is, that's quite the, uh, that's quite the, the transition. I, I, that is a, a fabulous question. And honestly, I think if you ask the people that in, that were in my corporate America world, which are in my corporate America world today, I think that they were completely sort of thrown by it when, it, when, uh, when that was what happened. But to be honest, it was, a, it was a plan. So uh, myself and uh, one of my family members, one of my sister, my sister, uh, she and I um, had had sort of this idea that we wanted to do something together uh, and, um, but very much wanted it to be something that just had a positive feel to it. There's lots of businesses you can invest in, lots of things that you can do, but not all of them bring um, true unadulterated joy. And it was just this unique opportunity. There was a trampoline park franchise actually. So I did, I was part of a franchise and they were sort of exploding um, on the West coast initially. And I was on the West coast at the time, but they had not gotten, they had not been in the Midwest market yet. And so we saw an opportunity and opening and invested in it. And then I 
moved myself to Chicago to run that business for five years. Um, and it was, I, it's it, what an adventure. I mean, just what an adventure. What's interesting about trampoline parks is you can, you think about what they do and the kids and the joy that they bring, but they're also a bit of a retail business in from a promotion sense. They're very, they're similar to a retail business. You don't really learn that until you're doing it, but the marketing side of it turned out to be sort of my, my, my highest comfort, my niche. And that's what I spent as an owner. You often pick one thing that you're going to, take a hold and then you're going to have every have your employees do everything else and so marketing was the thing i held on to on top of of course owning and running the business which is in itself its own responsibility yeah and well i mean so trampoline park because as you said i mean there's there's a couple elements of that that i think fit really interestingly into this topic of culture right because you have a couple of different things swirling around in the mix there, right? Like you, there's an expectation when a person, when a customer comes into your retail establishment um, of the type of atmosphere that they have to feel, mm -hmm. right? You're, you're yep. in the entertainment business. You're in the business of, uh, I, I would say, kind of controlled chaos, right? <laughs> I would um, say that absolutely. That is the word. It's not right. even and, sort of the word. <laughs> Well, and, and as an as an insurance guy who deals in risk, right? It's like there are very few businesses this side of underwater <laughs> unpredictable. Or working on radio <laughs> radio towers that you would say um, have a risk profile like a trampoline park, right? I mean, like that's that's claim central, right? You got kids bouncing around on a trampoline, breaking bones every which way. But you also have to have so you have to have employees that are capable of providing a fun experience and so and so there has to be a culture that is developed around this idea of taking care of customers dealing with kids as customers right because it's like yes. if the kids don't want to go there the parents right. aren't going to pay to take them there but the parents but are you, paying so they are right. your customer as well yes exactly absolutely and then you've also got to build your business around a culture um, of safety and a culture of structure, right? Because it's like, if you don't have rules and safety and structure in that operation, people get hurt and you go out of business just as fast if people are getting hurt all the time mm -hmm. as you would if they don't want to come to the place of business because it's not fun. So how did you, with your experience, you know, leading up to that, how did you walk that line? That is an incredible dichotomy. It's, 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 as I think about it, I mean, I think about running like a manufacturing company where you can set a pretty clear line in the sand. This is the way that we operate because this is what we do. You had to straddle a, a really wide gap there. So what was that like? Well, I can say a lot to that. Uh, I, first of all, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bust a myth about trampoline parks here real quick. Um, the kids jumping around and broken bones, sprains for sure. Lots of sprains, ankle sprains and ow, this hurts. And, and uh, it was our job to really figure out, you know, what, what kind of level are we talking about? Because when a kid says it hurts, it can mean a lot of different things. Um, the blessing that I had was five years of an incredible safety record. And I give all the credit to my employees that I, I did not create that safety record we led it, but they did it. And I am beyond blessed for the work that they did. Um, the funny part is, and I laugh as I'm looking at you, Matt, and telling you the story, the truth is the, the most dangerous um, or the most significant insurance claims that our injuries actually come from adult men. I can see that. <laughs> we, we, we have a, a bit of a biological imperative towards, towards uh, injury. Towards danger. <laughs> yes. So time and time again, if there wasn't a serious accident, honestly, 
probably 70% of the time, it was an adult male, a father that was there playing and sort of lost perspective on their current body abilities. So I'll just leave it at that if that's, if that's reasonable. Age, age, it turns out, is undefeated. Uh, that's, that's, yeah. But I digress. Um, the, you, to speak of the culture and, and the unique part to mix in there where you absolutely did such a good job, and that's pretty impressive considering it's not your, your, you know, not your world, your line of business. The other piece to pull into there is that these employees are young employees. We are doing, my, my business, they, it was the first job of most of the people that worked for us. It was their very first job coming out of high school or maybe their second job. And so you're also dealing with an element of preparing them for the future, for working for other people. So that structure you talk about was a very important piece because we're giving them the first indication of what working is all about. And, and it's funny because you expect that they know it and some kids did. And I think part of that comes if your parents have a family business, something like that, they have some structure, but a lot of kids just didn't have the understanding of that. So it was our job. And, and I give all credit to my general managers. I had two general managers, both excellent gentlemen who were leaders for their young employees and they were closer in age than I was. So that was actually worked out well. Um, they probably needed that. And, uh, and I was, you know, I was there as well, but I always point about everything back to the general manager. And that's another key point as a business owner, I think is not, um, you know, you want to give the indication that you care about the employees, that you get to know them, that you know who they are. But when they come to you with something as the business owner, that you're always backing up the person that, that, that they report to. Because in the end, if you receive too much of that and you try to solve problems, you're undermining the person they're reporting to. And this is, again, going back to these are young, brand new employees. So if you teach them that, if I taught them that, that yes, you can come to me and I'll solve your problem and, you know, circumvent their own manager, then that's what their behavior is going to be in the future. So we, I thought a lot about that while running that business, um, all about how we were, really, I mean, honestly, molding young minds. These kids are, I say kids, I, I would never have said that as, I mean, you don't refer to your employees as kids, but right. they, compared <laughs> to you and me, Matt. <laughs> right, right. And then you're teaching them how important safety is because they are overseeing younger children. So these are, and my employees were 16 to 20 years old, typically, and some were a little older, but they're overseeing um, you know, young children. And then it's all about that parent who's the customer, because you said it, that parent has a different sort of outlook on what we're doing. So if we correct their child because they're doing something dangerous, we can get yelled at by the parent. That happens all the time. But then it's teaching my young employees, who, by the way, are freaked out by a 40-year-old yelling at them, because that happens. It's very intimidating. Same thing at the front desk at check-in. When a 40-year-old mom is yelling at you and you're 19 years old, you naturally want to back up and, you know, feel, feel, uncomfortable. So it was our job to also teach them how to how to do those word tracks to calm that parent down. And, and it was also my job to make sure that all the structure was correct so that the employee always knew the line and they always had the right answer. There was no, um, we couldn't be inconsistent with things like that in order to make sure that they could, they could defend whatever decision they'd made about that kid jumping or that person checking in. So there you go. And as a business owner, and, and because I, I want to rewind pre-trampoline park here shortly, but, but as a business owner, what was that process like, you know, having, having this being your first entrepreneurial venture, and yeah. it was a big one, right? Oh, yeah. And and because it's not like you started like a small, you know, a small low risk business and had like one employee and, and nope. you know, that, was, that was like you jumped into entrepreneurship with both feet. Yes. Um, what was it like the process of handing off the security of your business to a team of 160 to 20 year olds? <laughs> how do you, how did you square 
with that? Uh, this is a good question. Uh, had we opened the first trampoline park in the United States, I'd have been freaked out. <laughs> um, <laughs> the model already exists. So there's somewhat of a proven model, which gives you some faith as a business owner, number one. Um, I would say number two, it's physically impossible to do it without doing that. So it's almost you sort of backed into that as the way it has to operate. Number three, I knew that the that as we're um, as that that as we're doing this, that it's that the kids, the, when I say the kids, now I'm talking about the customers, the customers' kids, the jumpers, the kiddos that are playing, I knew that they look up to these teenagers that are in my business. And I remember this. I mean, I'm sorry, you're about to find out how old I am, but I remember going to the roller <laughs> rink and the, the seniors in high school working at the roller rink and I'm in like middle school and being like, oh man, they're so cool. I want to do what they do or going to the movie theater. And I knew there was an element there that I thought we could sort of leverage um, from, a, from, a, from a safety issue if my employees had to speak to them. This these kids want to be my employees. They, they really, they want to wear that shirt. They want to work at the trampoline park. So that was helpful to me. Well, it's, it's kind of funny because of course, part of the process of becoming an adult is you, you get to the point where you look around and you realize, oh, like everybody was just weighing it the whole time. Because when we were kids, it really looked like you guys knew what was going on. <laughs> well said. Yeah. In lots of in lots of areas of life. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those great awakenings. That is, uh, it's it's uh, it's it's a bit of a disillusioning experience. So um, many in adulthood. <laughs> so so let's rewind actually all the way back to the roller rink then, right? So so <laughs> well, I'm not, not going back that far. <laughs> you did not grow up in Chicago. Mm. You moved there, so you grew up in small town Alaska. Yes, I did. Um, and kind of went from there and and did. You know, I mean, again, we're talking, that's a big with both feet. You grow up, not just, I grew up in, you know, like a small town in Arizona and kind of went Phoenix somewhere the East down Coast the corner, and yeah. Did, the, yeah, did that sort of thing. But when you're talking about like a small town in Alaska and the culture that you have up there, and then you go out and, you know, enter into the world, right? What, yeah. what made you decide that you wanted to, to leave Alaska? What, you know, and, and what do you hearken back to? that you learned growing up there that really has kind of been consistent as you've developed professionally? Well, thank you for that question, because it's hard for me not to gush about how proud I am about the town that I come from. So I came from a small town in Alaska, right outside of Anchorage, Alaska. So not, um, I don't want to give the image that I grew up in a village. I didn't. I know who people who did, but I did not. I grew up in a town with roads and, and we had a stoplight and there were cars and things like that um, versus villages, which are snow machines, basically uh, walking and four wheelers, which is not, not that case. Um, although Anchorage is a small city and my town was a small town, about 6,000 people when I was a kiddo, about 30,000 today. And to paint the picture, the difference is there's not another small town next to it. So this is small town and then the next town is an hour away sort of thing. And the next one's two hours away. So um, that's the environment I grew up in. It was very safe. It, it allowed you as a kid to, um, we talk about, you know, being able to do whatever you want to do, right? But as like a kid in high school, you were able to be successful at something. You were able to sort of be a big fish in a small pond. And I think that gave me confidence in certain things that I thought I could just, you know, go and do anything because I, you know, won this or won that. I was in a town of this many people. It wasn't a lot of competition, but that's all I needed. And um, and my parents, I give credit to my parents. Both my parents were from the States, which means they were from the lower 48, meaning the continental US. So we were raised knowing that when you turn 18, you will leave, you will go, you'll go do something else. You may come back. That's up to you. We don't, we don't expect you to. You're completely on your own. Go figure it out. 
of course, with the caveat that college was part of that. So they paid for half of our college. And I think the funny part about college for me and all of my sisters is that we, well, there's four of us, by the way, we're all sisters, is that we never saw a college campus in our life before we arrived at our college campus. Everything was just through the mail and you just looked at brochures and picked a good one and that's how we got there. So I landed in Indiana um, for college, never having been to Indiana, didn't know a thing about it. And started my four years at the University of Notre Dame with literally no information about it. <laughs> well, and, and, uh, and I say this as somebody who has some, some much more intelligent friends who went to Notre Dame and I, I went to, uh, <laughs> I went to, uh, to a different, a different uh, academic pedigree at, at, uh, at our small Arizona State University here in, in, uh, in Arizona. I went, I went there when we played you guys. <laughs> Yeah, great I, you weekend. know, <laughs> no, and, I, and I and I actually loved it, and I, I owe a, a great deal to uh, to ASU. But um, I do have to compliment you that uh, you're the first person, one of well, not the first, but one of few people I've met that that is a Notre Dame alum that doesn't like basically say I'm Shannon and I went to Notre Dame. So I'm <laughs> so I'm very proud of you for for, for restraining yourself. Waiting until That's... minute twelve, yeah, it's really <laughs> impressive. <huh? laughs> no, and and I say that I completely ingest. So. 1990s, you're done with college, you go out into the human resources field and you um, jump into a startup company, you're employee number three. Yes. So you had to be a part of building a culture there as well. And yeah, I mean, startups, I think about the 90s and it's not like you had, um, you know, a bunch of internet forums you could go on and say, this is how you build culture, right? what was that like? I mean, that's that's a that's a heck of a for you know a starting foray into human resources, especially when you've got to scale a company with culture. Yes, and what a gift that was. Um, and truthfully, I I, I I can't say that they like recruited very hard to find somebody. They literally found one person. It was me, and they said, "Here, do this job because we needed you to do it yesterday. So can you start today?" And that's basically how that happened. And what a gift! What a gift to be able to start um, in an organization. And it was well funded, thank goodness. So it was not a startup that was scratching, uh, but it had a purpose. It was also not a startup, by the way. I'll clarify that was like a bubble.com. It had an actual product. It was it was a wireless communication company it was it was it was a cell phone company that got bought later by a larger cell phone company um not cell phones excuse me wireless um signal they didn't they didn't make phones they made signal and um yeah and that was amazing because we didn't have anything to start with we just started with nothing and we've just figured out and this is me and two other people and, and we're all almost the same age which is kind of amazing and um and really first and foremost was getting customer service people because that's where it started we we had the net we had the network we we're building the network we need the customer service team and that was my first foray into recruiting um at that level and uh bringing in 10 12 people at once uh to fill 10 12 slots and then having the initial whole thing turn over because you didn't do it very well so you ended up with eight people that aren't the right people and you the second round you get the better round and i learned so much in that process and creating an employee handbook was an immense project going out and doing benefit enrollment was a immense project. All of that being done in one time crunch in one like about 45 day time crunch. It was pretty crazy. Uh, but it was so proud a year later to look back and say, wow, we did this. We brought 48, we brought a team of 48 people together um, to run an organization that did not exist a year ago. I mean, what a, what a gift that was. So, and that actually kind of leads me to, you know, so when we think about what you do now and we can, we'll, we'll segue into that. But so when I think of the list of things that a business needs to scale, right? You know, the first thing you probably need is you 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 have to have established a market of some kind, right? So you've got 
an idea of a value proposition. Product to service. Yep. Yeah, you've got a product, you've got a service, you have some mechanism to say, all right, this is the value and the price we're going to charge. We've got a delivery mechanism of some kind. After that, you know, that's startup. And right. then I think, all right, we're going to hire employee number two or number three, and then it's number 40 and then whatever it is. So what you have to have after that and, and, and into perpetuity are these systems and processes. And in my, in my mind, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, the area that it seems is going to be most chaotic around the need for systems and processes is once you start introducing human beings into the mix. There you go. Because <laughs> you, can, you can standardize like, this is how we make a widget. We're going to find efficiencies on how we make a widget. We're going to refine this machine process, whatever it is. You start bringing in employees, and now you've got personalities and and all the myriad things that that are wonderful and also probably quite frustrating when you're a business owner. So, what has your experience been, both you know in, in the two fields in your two kind of HR ventures? I think we've talked about, but now what you do is you go around and consult with businesses around the country under the Paychecks umbrella. What's your experience been as you've seen businesses kind of tangle with this? Is it are there themes that run consistently through this where businesses are doing it well? Are there themes where businesses have not done it well? What advice would you have, for example, for somebody that is kind of getting ready to go through the eye of that needle right there and they're they're at employee three, but their plan is to be at employee 100 or employee 1000 in short order? Uh, that's a great question. I mean, I would start with sometimes it's where it's the, what that person's image is of what a good company looks like. Um, and we all have our image of that, but some of us have worked for corporate America and some of us have worked for small business and what that background is in, in the case of the business owner or the CEO, whoever's the decision maker and how this is all going to work. That has a lot to do with how the product of the company is going to look. And I don't mean the product they're making, but the pro the company, which is in itself a product. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is creating the company's image to its employees, which is different, but conceptually similar to creating an image to customers. We all know we spend, companies spend tens of thousands of dollars to create the, the website image, to create the company image. What is a customer gonna see? How is a customer gonna engage with us? What do we look like to customers? That's where marketing and advertising comes in. All that money gets spent. And sometimes for one customer to have one engagement, right? One person to go to the website once, buy one product, they never come back. But I, we spent all that to make sure that we lured that, lured, I don't mean that negatively. We attracted that customer in, we got them through, we removed all the barriers so that they could buy quickly and maybe we never see them again, but we did that. Well, then we think about that's a relationship we had with the customer. Maybe it was a few minutes long or months long or years long, but think about the relationship we have with employees. When we bring that person on, there is an expectation. This is potentially a years and years long uh, relationship. It, like we're not bringing them in for 10 days, which if we're doing, then we're hiring a temp agency. When we hire an employee, it's meant to be a long-term engagement. So creating the company's image to the employees, to me, and it might be just selfish because I'm in human resources, is as important as creating the image out to the, to the customers. And that piece I see is different based on how the background of the CEO or the president is. Do they come from small business? Do they come from large business? Does that make sense, Matt? It does make sense. Well, and so when you talk about the company's, the company's image, right? I mean, there are a couple of different the word that comes to mind is like like a like a masthead or like the you know your corporate iconoclast right like the, the person that kind of sets the sets the tone right and there are a couple of those standard bearers within an organization right there's your there's your your CEO, CEO. maybe it's the business's founder right and yep. so you've got um, that 
flavor. And then you've got, you know, maybe, maybe a couple different layers of executive leadership. Where does human resources fit into that mix? Because human resources is one of those positions that, you know, again, there's this huge dichotomy, right? Because on one hand, you have human resources as essentially, I mean, they're the procedural defense for the company, right? They're the, they're, they're, they're a legal the, perspective, from yeah. a legal perspective, right? Yeah, so that's, so a, that's a piece resources. to the puzzle. Exactly. They're, they are responsible for setting in place the policies and procedures to kind of contain the types of people related issues that could completely sink an organization, right? Or on rise. the other hand, <laughs> human resources is there. I, I think in some companies, and maybe you can, maybe you can clarify this, maybe I've got this wrong, but human resources is also kind of your cultural standard bearer, right? Where that's the person that it's like, if you have an HR person that is running counter to the company's culture, you know, there, there is that dissonance that you see, whether it's like the company is freewheeling and the HR person is the not fun person or the, the HR person and the company's culture are aligned. So, you know, can you speak to a little bit about how your experience has been with that? And then I guess what that probably leads me into is what brought you back into HR and why do you stay? <laughs> Because yeah, I mean, question. the HR people that I talk to, it's a tough job. It's it's a tough yes. job on top of the, the the dichotomy of responsibilities, but it's also a tough job because it's very rare that somebody's walking into HR just to say hello. It's usually because there's a problem that has to be solved, and the problem is probably complicated. So what what brought okay. you there? What keeps you there? I need to write all these down. It's like yeah, sorry, awesome. I, I tend to ramble. No, I got it. I got it. I have <laughs> lots to say about all that. Um, I will go in no particular order uh, because I'll probably not remember what order you ask these questions. <laughs> but, um, I want to start about like who goes into HR? Who, who are the type of people that do the job of HR? Um, these are people, I, I can tell my little story, and that is um, that I went to college thinking I was going to be an attorney. I very much wanted to go to law school, but I realized toward my the end school that I really what I wanted to do is do LA law because I had grown up watching that television show and then I had to sort of check myself and say okay you better find out what being a lawyer is because I'm pretty sure what Grace Van Owen was doing on TV isn't really you know necessarily what you're going to do Shannon so go find out so I went and got a job in a law firm in my senior year and found out okay it was different than the TV show um, and sort of changed my direction that okay I'm not going to law school I still I've always wanted to go by the way and if anyone wants to just pay for me to go to law school I'll go do it because I think it'd be fascinating but that's when I made a transition to not doing that. And um, how I landed in human resources was recognizing it is this beautiful myriad. If you are curious at all or interested in how like compliance and, and not compliance, but legal things work, HR is, is the greatest example of that because we don't, we're not lawyers, we don't have to do that, but we get to like manage legal things every single day. But on top of that, we have the joy of serving. That is the heart of an HR person. We are servants at heart. We want to. We want people to feel supported, cared for, valued, communicated with. That is the heart of someone that does HR. And yes, our, our job is we, we stand next to the company. We are there to protect the company. That is why they hired us. But they also hired us to create the culture you just talked about. They hired HR people to create that inviting, attractive culture into the business. And so a couple of examples of this, because you just early in the, earlier on in your question, you talked about the CEO and the executives and how they sort of uh, form culture. And then maybe you asked how the HR department can form culture. So if I can speak to that, I think I have some information right there. So how the HR 
team, and I always I want to say team, it's not always one person, it almost can't be, it depends on your size of organization, um, how they create culture is first thing they do is because they are the overseers of policy, they usually create policy, They're, the policies they create that to make a positive, open, happy culture need to be policies that, that um, say it the right way, that honor employee integrity policies that honor employee integrity, honors uh, policies that make employee feels, employees feel valued and cared about. And partly it's how it's written, because believe me, you can write one policy two different ways and it comes out very different if not written with the intent of, of honoring employee integrity. It's a big part of what we do because policy is a big part of what we do. Secondly, um, we are part of how information gets delivered to employees, both from a software system perspective and from a human being communication perspective. So that's partly why a lot of that gets filtered through the HR department, <laughs> to be honest, because when coming out of other people's mouths, it might come out harsh or direct. When coming out of the HR department, our job is to make sure we communicate consistently and it's the same information to everybody, but that it's, that it's delivered in the right way or filtered in the right way. And I'm going to tie that to something else in just a moment. We also have the joy of providing employee benefits to employees. And that's, uh, that's part of the joy of HR. I'll be honest, benefit administration, not so much the joy of HR. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> but getting, to, getting to learn those benefits, understand them, support employees, um, th that is a gift in of itself. And creating benefits that serve employees for the now and for the later. And that is everything in what we do. And this is, this is sort of the gift of what HR does. For the now are benefits like health insurance, you know, very, very important benefit. And I was listening to one of your other podcasts and I was just absolutely laughing when a gentleman was speaking about the premiums that we used to have way back in the day. And I, I remember the first year I had to introduce a deductible to the employees. Right. And Matt, let me tell you, one would have thought the world, the ceiling was falling in. A deductible, $200, what? I what you're not covering that and i'm and now today i mean is there a 200 deductible plan matt I don't well know. <laughs> you could in theory you could build one on a self-funded basis i mean yes, i can make one yeah yeah well so i'll tell you what but benefits um, for benefits i'm sorry let me just finish that thought. yeah 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 but for the HR department, we provide benefits for the now and benefits for the later. And benefits for the later are to honor the employees once they're done working. So that can be the retirement benefit, whether there's a match or not. Just the gift of being able to deduct money pre-tax is, is a benefit and having it automatically happen is a benefit to employees. And that's what 401k can do, whether it's traditional or Roth. Probably one of the best gifts I ever got from a benefit um, would be the combination of short-term disability insurance that many employers try to do. They all don't, but I have firsthand sat there and watched short-term disability insurance be the solution to some very big problems. And I have a story I could share, but I won't, unless we have time later. Um, and then long-term care insurance. It's another fantastic benefit that you don't even have to pay for as an employee employer. If you can just get a plan together and make it available to your employees, it was presented to me by my company paychecks many years ago. I jumped on it like that. And I sleep well every single night knowing that I've got this policy that later in life is going to serve me. And so these are the things that, that, employers can do that, again, honor employee integrity and make them feel cared for and valued. And that is everything that culture is. That makes sense. And, and I, I actually, I've got a, I've got a question because it's going to tie directly to what you do right now. So let me just take a quick break though. So for those of us, for those of you who are just joining us, this is Culture at Work in Tucson, proudly presented by Crest Insurance. Um, it's the largest locally owned and operated insurance brokerage in Southern Arizona and one of the top 100 insurance agencies in the United States. 
Crest is your hometown broker to assist with commercial insurance, workers' compensation, and employee health insurance plans, up to and including all the lovely benefits that uh, that Shannon brought up. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I, I wish uh, I could say that I even paid you for that segue because, uh, you know, I've, I've lived employee benefits personally for, you know, 16 years that I've been in the insurance industry. And um, it is one of those things that uh, it's, there are so many of them that go unsung until their needed disability is a great example, but for any of them to be perceived as valuable, I mean, it's just absolutely essential that the HR department buys into it um, because it is one of those things that, I mean, it's work, right? That's like you said, yes. benefits administration is, <laughs> yes. is add nobody's- on a Add on a line of insurance and you're adding on a job to me. Yep. Exactly. It's it, Benefits administration is nobody's favorite topic. Now, I think, you know, it's it's one of those things. Like if you build the systems the right way, it can be something workable, but if you go in with um, much like culture, if you go in without a plan and, and without building the systems out the right way, it can be a nightmare, right? And, and, and you're having an entirely different discussion out of, out, of a, out of human resources with your employees. So, well, anyways, with that said, um, so I'm your host, Matt Nelson, and now back to our conversation with Shannon O'Connor from Paychex. So I'll tell you what, let's talk about what you do at paychecks now because you are in really a, a you're in a very interesting niche of I, I would expect when most people hear paychecks they think oh the people that that do payroll right i mean it's in the name yes. they cut the paychecks yes. it's in the right? name yes and there's a lot more to that and some of our more astute listeners might even say well okay like uh, i remember you know we had a paycheck we had, we had them doing paycheck processing and then somebody talked to me about like a professional employer uh, organization, right? Where it's oh, yes. like, I could lease employees. But what's interesting is that neither of those are your functional area. So you do something really interesting in human resources outsourcing. So tell, tell us a little bit about what that is. What, what does HRO mean? Yeah, so yes, so HR, so paychecks about, goodness, I want to get my years here, about 20 years ago, uh, tiptoed into the space and the tiptoe didn't last long because we realized very quickly what a, what a great um, service it was. We tiptoed into the, 20 years ago tiptoed, into the area of taking the knowledge that we have as a, today we're a 14,000 X employee company, 14,000 plus employee company. And you can imagine when you are managing 14,000 people and they're not, most employers don't have that many human beings they have to manage. But when you do have that many, you have to have the top level fortune 1000 level HR expertise inside your organization. And you know, can't just have one of them. You have to have a team of them. What it takes to run 14,000 employees, you wouldn't even want to know what it takes to do that. But we thought to ourselves, okay, well, we have all of this in our vault. We are already training supervisors every single day to prepare for employee relations challenges. We're already making sure that employees understand um, their, their benefits. We're already making sure that everyone understands diversity in the workplace and non-harassment in the workplace. We're already writing handbook policies. We're already handling employee crises that come across because we have 14,000 people bumping into each other. That is part of life. So what if we could take that concept and turn it out to businesses and say, plug in here, Plug your business right in here, and we're going to give you the resources we use every single day to manage employees, both from a systems, and I mean software in that case, uh, perspective, and from a human being HR support perspective. So you get a fractional HR department with paychecks, and not fractional in the sense of broken, I'm always careful with that, fractional in the sense of you're paying for a fraction of it, because you're sharing it with other businesses. And even businesses that have a full-time HR person, we have 
I mean, hundreds, I mean, we have thousands, tens of thousands of clients that have a full-time HR person and have paychecks standing next to their company because there is no one HR manager, human being that knows everything about employee management. It is impossible. If there was, they would be the most amazing person on earth because that would mean they know everything about benefit lines, everything about training and development, everything about strategic um, planning, everything about succession planning, everything about employee relations, everything about employee counseling, every, everything. They can't. It's not possible. Nobody does. But you put that one person in your 50 to 200 employee company and you ask them to know everything and they're going to get overwhelmed. They're going to miss things. Things aren't going to just aren't going to happen. Not to mention, they're going to have a really hard time doing the proactive work. The proactive strategic work is some of the hardest work. And maybe we'll talk about that a little bit, but that is where paychecks comes in that we give them a fractional HR department with our professionals, but not just the people, the actual physical resources that, that we use every day to manage employees. So, and, and I'm glad you brought up strategic HR because so when you think about the things that you typically encounter, so you come into a business that they're basically saying we either through scale or through workload for our current HR people, or we've got this strategic growth plan, whatever it is, um, they're having a conversation about how they make it so that their HR department can, can scale with the company mm -hmm. um, at a pace that's going to keep up with the growth projections for the organization. Or stay a bit ahead, actually. So, yes. Okay. Yeah, so that's often what, what we're what they're trying to do. What are the things that you see that they struggle with consistently that could be addressed early on with the right mindset? And and the phrase oh, yes, that, that's, that's the same that comes to mind that basically it's it's a it's an old saying that says you know when two minds come together a third mind is created right mm. and and so in your operation there's this rather unique opportunity for a company that is facing an issue like this to bring in a second mind create a third but that second mind is comprised of a cumulative experience of thousands of people with HR experience. So that is so well said. Yeah. Consistently the businesses struggle with and, and maybe what's the relationship between what you see them struggling with and how you help them and their overall growth and profitability as a business. That is such a great question. That is a big question. I'm going to chunk that into three. <laughs> so sure. I'm going to start with tactical, what we see, and then I'm going to start with strategic, what we see. These are two different elements of, of managing employees. Tactical is the day-to-day -day administrative tasks of managing employees. Benefits are one of those, by the way, Matt, and part of the fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll, we, we'll, and I'll talk about the, the challenges and the tactical, and then I'll go to the strategic. So the challenges that we see most often in the tactical is actually systems that don't talk to each other. And this isn't just in the HR world, right? This is in any world. Everyone deals with this. When you go from small, when you go from your version of small to your version of medium to your version of large, which everybody's measurement is different. But as you do that, when you're, when you're small, you, you often sort of grab this and then grab that and then grab that and try to make them talk to each other, these systems. And in our case, I'm talking about, you've got one system that you turned on to make it Take your employee, collect your employee's time, and then do PTO requests. You got another system that runs payroll. You have another system that holds employee files. Then over here, we've got a system where when somebody gets hired, we send them a link and they fill their information out, but that system doesn't tie to that system. So we're moving data over. And then 
you know, the granddaddy of them all is benefits administration because it's the hardest one. When you've got people making changes and they want to make a change and they're using a paper form sometimes, or they're going into a website and making a change, but the website doesn't actually change anything. It just produces a report that has to go to whatever line of benefit. Um, and when I say line of benefit, you know, health, dent, medical, dental, vision, whatever, it all has to get manually pushed over. When those systems are not connected into a single integrated system with the employee file being sort of the base of it, then that causes an immense amount of work, not just work, work is okay, we all don't mind work, but errors, it causes errors. And those errors have two challenges. One error is the employee frustration of every time I go to do something with my company, I click something, it sends me to another link with another password, and this interface looks different than that interface, and I just, I don't get it, I get frustrated, I give up my company, it just, I, it's just not, it's not professional, I don't feel valued as an employee, I don't feel like I'm looking, and I'm watching, by the way, at what they do with marketing and their website and how much money they put into all of that, and here's what they give me as an employee, and I work for them every day. And that may sound crass the way I described it, Matt, it is 100% true. People, employees do judge their company culture based on how their experience is when they interface with this stuff. And more today than ever, and I know we say that a lot, but we're not as connected to our companies because we're working from home a lot. So that interface means a lot. So that's what I'll say about the tactical. Does that answer that question okay? It does. And so how do you tie that to the strategic, right? Because you've got these tactical objectives that are components of a strategic goal. How do you, how do you bring those things together? Because so often, you know, you're, maybe you might not have the option for an integrated system, or maybe it's, you know, the system is kind of rolled out in phases. And so as an HR person, you're constantly struggling to keep up with this kind of ever widening gap. And, and quite frankly, there's a lot of potential downside risk as an HR um, professional in making changes like that and taking these big strategic visions. So how, I guess two parts. You have to have, you have to have the buy-in. It has to, you have to have buy-in. You can't do it by yourself. It won't get done. Um, and, and the, and the pushback will come from two places. Number one, changing a system is a lot of work sometimes. And changing a system when you have a hundred employees can be a lot of work because it could affect a hundred employees. But typically the HR person is then just tasked with saying, look, let's remember, we're going to change this for hundred employees. And yes, it's going to affect three or four people inside the company who have to do the work. And then hundred people who are, who are experiencing a new interface, but we're going to get to 125 employees. And I don't want to get there in the same system because it's going to continue to cause errors. And benefits admin is one of the best places, examples I can give, because you know what happens when somebody terminate. So an employee is no longer with the company. The HR person clicks the button, close the file, terminate it. If that information does not get to the health insurance company, what happens, Matt? Yeah. I mean, the employee doesn't company. get enrolled. They're in the doctor's office and that's when they find out they don't have, they don't have coverage and they call well, the, the opposite. In this case, it was a termination. So oh, in sorry, that yeah, case, yeah, yeah, there you go, the, yeah, the company keeps paying that employee's health insurance. Yeah. And yeah. then they have to go back to the insurance company. They might find out four months later and they're battling and maybe they get a two month credit, but they spent a thousand dollars that they didn't need right. to spend because these systems weren't in place. I'm not yeah, saying it's more, easy, but it's, yeah, and, it's, and what's it's more, always I mean, better to do it earlier. Yeah. What's more, you might have to back out claims. So you got to come back to your ex-employee now and, and the insurance company has to tell them that, Hey, we paid this claim. You actually weren't an eligible recipient of it. And then there's the question, did I get a COBRA notice out in time because we retro Yeah. I mean, it's, right? It snowballs very quickly. And, and actually that snowballing effect, I, I'm really interested in this tie between, 
So oftentimes when you talk to somebody who's not in HR, and, and I hate to pick on founders because founders have a, a, a monumental task. When you're standing up a business, it's a monumental task, right? But oftentimes I think you, there can be a trap. There, there can be a mental trap that you can fall into where you start looking at things like accounting, um, your finance team, which I think finance, we've gotten pretty disciplined in, in understanding that finance is not a cost side function, right? I mean, finance keeps you from losing money. So you want to invest in your finance team. Human resources, I think oftentimes gets really unfairly painted as strictly this cost side cost function. Center. Mm -hmm. as a cost and I guess you could, if you look at it in the top inch of water on the pond, I guess I could see where somebody could view it that way. But that's only if you don't consider the cost of hiring, the cost of firing, the cost of an employee who has an issue or creates an issue. And I mean, all of a sudden you start to realize that your HR team are the, are the I guess you could say kind of like the internal salespeople who are keeping those things from becoming these, these those becoming yes. your massive cost centers or massive drains on revenue. So how does an HR person position that way? Because that's not the way that it's traditionally received. I'll give you two answers to that. One, it's the traditional answer and one that's a little bit more personal to me. Um, turnover is the traditional answer that if you're going to try to, if people need math, if the founder needs math or the finance person needs math, then the answer is turnover. Because if an HR person is in HR, in HR solutions in place, it doesn't have to be a person. It could be, you know, a person and, and a paychecks or a PE or whatever that is. If that's in place and because of that, we had a great company image, good company communication, not frustrated employees, we had lower turnover, all it takes is the, is the math of, of how much does that salary cost? How much is it cost to replace that person? We usually say one third of their annual salary. Let's go down, let's say a quarter of their annual salary. Take that times five employees and you've paid for your HR department. And then everything after that pays, pays invest, it gives is money back to the company. That's the traditional answer. My answer is actually different. I truly believe that the HR department gets more creates more productivity for the business. And I think this, this is maybe that business owner mind in the back of my mind, but I do not want to think of my employees as cost centers, but I do have to think of them as a, as an, as a cost, meaning they, everyone has a salary. There's a dollar figure associated with the human being that works for me that does not discredit what they do, does not make them any less valuable, but there is a dollar, there is a dollar associated with that. If you think of, I have a hundred employees and I've got everybody distracted, or I've got even 10% of these people distracted by whatever's going on, issues that we're not addressing with them, their productivity is going down because that's what happens when, when people get distracted. Let me add another one. Let's say I've got a manager that's, that I don't realize is not a really good employee supervisor and they're not engaging with their employees. Their employees don't feel valued. The employees don't feel attracted to that manager. And I don't mean it in the physical sense, Matt. I mean it in an emotional sense. And I'll use an example. I ask anyone who's listening to think about, go back to your first maybe five, six jobs you ever had as a you know 20 something. Think of that manager you worked for that you love to work for you love to show up to work you love to work with them think about that manager that you really had a hard time connecting with that you felt was a, was just not a not a good manager for you and realize you were the same person almost making the same wages for those two people and think about how much more you showed up for that manager you cared about that meant that that company got more productivity out of you because of how 
strong that manager was, that supervisor was. That does not just to apply to your first job, that applies to our entire careers. So if the HR department is doing their job and the supervisors are well coached and the supervisors are well supported and the company engagement is high and the systems work and the employees feel good, then they're, they're literally raising the productivity of those employees, which means the dollars invested in those human beings is getting a higher return for the company. It's one of the hardest things to do because payroll wages are typically a flat expense. It doesn't really ever go down. It just is what it is. You, you have it budgeted, you know how much you're going to spend, but you don't know the return on it because you can't control productivity. We can't control another human's productivity. We can only motivate and influence it. And so I think that's where the HR department really brings its value. I, I agree. Well, so, and it's funny you talked about employee engagement, right? Because I think about the past 12 months and I think about, I mean, you take every HR challenge that would go into you know, a regular workplace. Mm -hmm. And you dial you, that up to 10. <laughs> you dial it up to 10. And, and like HR departments were dealing with companies with, you know, wide geography in the past, right? I mean, like there's, there are mechanisms that you can say, all right, our culture is consistent, whether, you know, like if you're paychecks, we have 14,000 employees across the United States. I mean, I'll even take Crest, you know, we're much smaller. We're about 200 employees. We're in Three states. That you is know, not eight a small offices, business. Three that is a significant business. It's a it's a significant business. Yes. It's like we still have a relatively constrained geography that that you know you can like we're small enough that you can still have. I think a lot of your standard bearers kind of carry the culture out. But one of the things that has been incredibly difficult, and I, I certainly don't think that we're unique in this, is that while we had figured out in a lot of ways how to maintain culture across some geography, and I think a lot of companies and human resources professionals have probably got a, a pretty good idea as to how to do that as, they, as they've grown their company. But now you're in this situation where you don't only have geography, you have the fact that your people just aren't physically connected anymore in most cases. You know, they're working from home. Their connection to their managers is through a computer screen. How do you keep people engaged? What does, what does your culture have to do to work in this current environment? And let's say that you're building, let's say it's not even a negative thing. Let's say you're building a business and what this has opened your eyes up to is, you know what, we could have a business that we're everywhere. There's nothing that says we have to go back to this old way of doing business. Yes. So from your perspective and your experience, what things would you advise a business that is struggling right now and, and is trying to get their employees reconnected and maybe back to a traditional model? And on the flip side, what would you advise a business that is saying to, our culture to, to grow based on this model? Yeah. How would we make it work? Well, and the, the virtual work thing is a double-edged sword. There are some very positives uh, that come out of it, and I'll start there. I mean, you mentioned one of them, that an employer does not have to define their recruiting search to the 10 miles or, uh, or you know, 40 miles around their business anymore. If there's someone talented that knows what they can do and three states away, and they're willing to, you know, it doesn't really matter. So that that really it, that increases the competition for the jobs, which is good for the employer because it's higher candidate. So that's a good thing. There are absolutely companies, so many of them, that have never even physically met their employees this year. They literally have never physically been in front of them, but they're working very successfully. People are also human beings are, are naturally motivated. I mean, we really are. We're, we're not lazy. That's not we weren't born that way. Biologically, we're not. So we will bring our A game to our to our employer if we feel connected to the company. I think that while the HR department has a piece to do with this, and I think their piece is making sure that um, that certain communications going out regularly from the company. And, and I'm thinking of things like, well, first of all, 
if a company doesn't have an EAP plan, 2020, 2021 is the year to have an EAP plan. It's it's just short of necessary now. And people are under- a little bit about what the EAP plan is. You know what, you're right. I just, I just, didn't I just do an acronym? I'm sorry about that. Um, <laughs> it's, it's the industry. <laughs> we throw them around like they're candy. <laughs> Thank you, Matt, for catching me. Um, an employee assistance program. An employee assistance program is usually like, it's, it's typically like a three-tiered um, benefit that provides three different sort of types of, of help. But it's, it's entirely to help the employee in their personal life. Uh, when it could be any one of three things that might, well, more than three, but the three majors that we think of when an employee uses or calls in their employee assistance program, number one, it's completely complicated. Confidential. So when the employee calls it, the employer never knows about the conversations, but they then get through this through an e-employee assistance program. They get access to legal guidance, number one, as well as personal counseling, number two, and then um, sort of a tie to that sort of intake counseling, meaning sometimes someone's going through something and they don't even know how to describe what they need. They don't know, but some, that something is stirring up inside them, causing them stress. And it can be recognized by a supervisor, much harder in this virtual world, by the way. So that's one of the other challenges. A supervisor is easier to recognize an employee challenge if they're encountering them physically on a regular basis. So if the HR department, and, and I, I'm just going to just say, assume a company has an employee assistance program because I'll say it again, this is the year to have it. If you don't have it, it's not that expensive and it's so important. Um, if the HR department is consistently sending messages about out about what the EAP is for, and I always wish secretly that you could send it to the employee's spouse too, if there was a way to do that. Can I get the secret email address of their spouse? Because a lot of times their spouse is, is going to be the one that's going to encourage an employee to, to, um, to, to reach out to employee assistance, but it's an incredible benefit. So I think the HR department can play a big piece in that. But the supervisors, really, they're the ones that are really taking the, they're the ones that are doing the hard work with keeping the engagement going. And I, I've witnessed a few things. Number one, I, I think that supervisors, um, those that are doing the best job, are actually scheduling dedicated one-on-one -on -one time with each of their direct reports more often than they ever did before, maybe putting it on the calendar twice a week, whereas before you might just run into your employee and, you know, on your way to here and there and have those organic conversations that used to happen in the workplace. Now we have to create those conversations. And so the, the supervisors and the managers have to be an employee manager in a different way than they had to before. So I would, that's one thing that we see that's really ramped up, which is great and makes employees feel valued. Um, and then secondly, supervisors coming up with ways to bring the team together, the entire team, and then coming up a way to kind of gamificate, uh, gamification, I think is the term, uh, what, they're, what they're doing in their team meetings. Because employee engagement in team meetings in a virtual world, have you seen it, Matt? It's different. Pretty well. <laughs> Yeah, it's different. <laughs> We're not wearing our ties and sitting in the conference room with our coffee and our, you know, bagel and ready to go. And this is all we're doing. We're in our house with our kids behind us and the dog running around and our, our phone dinging and all that kind of stuff. Things we could never do before. We didn't have a mute button before. <laughs> I couldn't do that. So some of the most successful things I've seen is supervisors who start the whole meeting off with a game, whether it's trivia or some sort of, um, you know, really fun way to engage all the employees together, get everyone's attention, get them back onto what they're doing, and then go into the, the work that's, that, that, is, that is the purpose of the job. You know, it kind of circles around because, you know, as we mentioned, we start up uh, you know, huge national holiday, National Employee Appreciation Day coming up. Big in day. Big right. day. Um, and it's, I say that tongue in cheek because it really should be, especially after the year that your average employee has been through. I mean, I, quite frankly, the fact that everybody is still waking up in the morning and if Zoom is your office um, at the moment, you know, that everybody is able to kind of still wake up in the morning and 
fire the laptop up and kind of get about their day when you factor in the absolutely incredible amount of headwinds that people have been fighting through for the past 12 months. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's ever a year that National Employee Appreciation Day and, and National HR and National Manager Appreciation Day, if there are day, if there's a year where these holidays should actually be on somebody's calendar, I think it's this year because, I mean, I think about just even within our own business, as we've kind of worked our way through this process, sometimes running, sometimes stumbling, sometimes picking ourselves up, I don't know how we could have done it without a culture where people cared about what was going on. And and for me, anyways, it's been so incredibly eye-opening to see the resilience of of people and the willingness to kind of sit down and 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 well not even sit down to stand up and fight really and say hey look like we're gonna make this work and I, I just I, I don't have anything else I can attribute it to other than a culture where people care right and that's that's such a difficult piece of a little bit of lightning to catch in a bottle right and it's such an incredible task for a company to try and keep that going yeah and so I think the yeah go ahead sorry. No, yes. <laughs> Just <a> yes. <laughs> so when I think about if somebody here is listening and they're saying, you know what, this sounds really interesting to me, like human resources wasn't a field that I had thought about before, or maybe I thought about it. Um, and and I'm, I'm looking to make the jump into it. What would, what is the one piece of advice you would give somebody that's kind of teetering on the edge? And I've got, I've got something in mind that in my mind, I think the stereotype would be that the HR person would be the person that is like there to enforce the standards and just kind of go along and keep the water calm. And in my mind, I listen to you describe your experience. I listen, I think of the kind of iconic HR people that, that uh, HR professionals that, that I know, the people that are memorable and they are completely the opposite that like two words would describe them. And it, it, like they, adhere to this idea of being bold mm. and, and being brave, because it is one of those things where it's like, you have to set the tone. So what would your advice be though, from, from your years of experience and all the businesses you've consulted with, somebody who says, I'm interested in this field, I wanna get into it, what's gonna keep me going? I, I would say, um, know if you have a heart to serve, because that is a, a part of the job. Uh, it, we, we, that is what HR people do. They serve every day. They're serving the employees. That's who they're serving. But a heart to serve is very, very helpful in that, in that, uh, in that, in this career. Um, be strong because you're going to go up against sometimes some forces. Uh, it could be an employee. It could be a supervisor. It could be, uh, it could be literally just two people saying, "Hey, I think we should do it this way," and I think we should do it this way. And you have to be able to state your case. Um, come come out with a you know with an intelligent argument um, and and that we all have to do that in our in our roles every single day but I think in HR um, it 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 is it, it just happens a little bit more often because we are creating policy we are creating trend and we are also trying not to create precedent <laughs> and I don't know if that made any sense but that's part of our job too we're trying not to create precedent we're clear with the not we're trying not to create precedent because if we accidentally allow something to happen in our organization that's an exception somewhere that causes risk or liability down the road when we don't do it again and suddenly accidentally we create an opportunity for the company to get to get sued so we have to know that every day too that we are also the protector we're the shield 
Well, you know, we're coming to the close here. So, Sarah, uh, Shannon, I just want to say thank you so much for your time. Um, one question before you leave, being uh, yes. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fellow uh, part-time Chicagoan. So I've got to, I've got to ask, um, Lou Malnati's Pizza, Gino's East Pizza, what's your, your pizza shop du jour? Mine is Moretti's, actually. Oh, Moretti's I like good. Moretti's. I was going to say, like, you could be a, like a Portillo's or something like that. Uh, for me, it's Moretti's. Thank you for asking. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, um, again, Shannon, thank you so much uh, for, for coming and, and sharing your expertise. Um, your, uh, I'm going to put your, your LinkedIn information in, in the uh, thank you information about the show. But um, if anybody has questions about, you know, kind of what Paychex HRO does, is there a place, I mean, is there like a repository where they can get an idea or is it best for them just to reach out to you and kind of get an idea as to how it all works out? Please reach out. We would, I would love that. Available, absolutely. Find me on LinkedIn. That would be great. And certainly paychecks.com is a great website. There's an immense amount of information there. It can be possibly not as easy to, to come all the way through if you're looking for something specific. So by all means, reach out and I'll be happy to help you find it. Perfect. Shannon, thanks again. And for those of you who have joined us today, I hope you've enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much for your time. We'll catch you next month, uh, Culture at Work in Tucson. This is Matt signing off. Join Matt for another interesting Culture at Work podcast right here on TucsonBusinessRadioX.com.